right, guys, come on in. If you're in the back, yeah, welcome, welcome. Uh, I'm going to ask Wave to come on up. Dr. Nunley, excuse me, to come on up. Is it okay if they call you Dr. Wave? Wave. He prefers Wave. There you go. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. So, uh, we're gonna, it's going to be fairly casual today, um, but Dr. Nunley has graciously agreed to be with us, so we're going we're gonna to roll that way. If you need a handout, we might have some left. Uh, his lovely wife, Lacey, who I tried to get up here as well, but she's like, you know what? No. I taught all week. She teaches at Evangel as well, uh, social work. So, uh, but just if you don't remember, Dr. Nunley is Emeritus Professor of Christian Origins, right, in Hebrew, uh, Jewish backgrounds at Evangel. Um, <laughs> I remember when uh, Pastor Betzer said he heard a, a pastor mess up the word emeritus and called it emeritus, which sounded like some sort of weird disease. Uh, so don't use words you don't know from the pulpit, right? So uh, I heard a guy use paradigm once from this pulpit. We got to change our paradigm. That's not bad. It's not bad. We're going to talk about those today. But great to be with you guys. Uh, I thought if he's in town, again, I feel like his booking agent, he's got to step out and help uh, Pastor Bruce. But we're going to begin, if you if you look, uh, I think I've got the clicker here. Yeah, your greatest fears and doubts. Today, we're going to talk about something um, that's I think close to a lot of Christians' heart, um, and it sometimes affects Christians, especially mature ones, is why do so many people disbelieve? Uh, we're going to talk about it. It's multifaceted, why there's disbelief out there, uh, but we're going we're gonna to talk about this and go through some of these stages. But I wanted to start this way, because I don't want this just to be a, cold, you know, a dry lecture. Uh, do you have a person in your mind that you think it would be really cool if blank became a Christian? Uh, it could be... A celebrity, it could be a, a great skeptic, it could be a known something. Uh, does anybody have any ideas about somebody? Oh, yeah, very good. Uh, okay, yes. Sure, yeah, you put this plant seed. Anybody else have somebody you can think of in your mind? It doesn't have it could be a friend, it could be an acquaintance, it could be somebody you don't even know, but you know they've got influence that you think would be great if they converted to Christianity. I'm a sucker for conversion stories. Uh, anybody? Anybody got any ideas? Huh? Joe Biden? We're not going there, are we? Oh, not gonna do. We're recording this, Ethan. Uh, you're not gonna, <laughs> hey, I almost wore a face mask joking today because I had garlic last night, uh, and it would straighten someone's hair. Garlic sticks with me for usually 24 hours, but then I thought that might be too much. So um, uh, anybody else? Who do you think? Uh, yes, go ahead, Kelly. Oh, yes, yeah. Elon Musk would be great. He seems fairly close. You know, he just did a – if you're wondering, um, I've had somebody walk out over those those scrolling fake news headlines that I put up. Those are from Babylon B. Great, great website that does parody, Christian satire and parody. Um, Babylon B, actually, the guys that started that, a bunch of Baptist guys, just did an interview with Elon Musk, and he seems fairly – Fairly close, but uh, but they he I couldn't believe he took a, an interview with him. But uh, but anyway, anybody else? Anybody else that you think would be a cool Tom? Katy Perry used to attend Fort Myers Christian School here. That's right, and she is significantly far away uh, from from the faith. So yeah, go ahead, Chris. <laughs> That would be a great – so Bill Nye, uh, a guy who doesn't have any real scientific credentials but has a lot of, uh, has a lot of uh, popular uh, cred, uh, it went against Ken Ham and, and, and beat him. I know for a fact we offered him uh, Stephen Meyer to debate, and he turned that down cold. So he went ahead after Ken Ham instead of uh, Stephen Meyer, who's probably the best-known Cambridge-level scholar that's an anti-Darwinian that's a Christian. Um, but, yeah, Nye wouldn't touch him with a 10-foot pole. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, if you didn't know, uh, African-American astrophysicist um, that uh, got, has gotten very, very, very popular, very active online over the last five, six years. Um, but a, 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 a kind of a, a snarky skeptic uh, really uh, likes to... Uh, add a little a little twist to insulting Christians so yeah these are great uh, I had somebody uh, when I, I I'd done something like this a couple years ago and they were at that time the Pope of atheism was Richard Dawkins the former Oxford biologist probably yeah bet one of the best known author of the God delusion they were like he should it'd be great if he converted uh, I had somebody say uh, a couple of years ago uh, Jordan Peterson as well who seems to be fairly close but in, uh, a public intellectual and that sort of thing um, I don't know if you ever saw uh, some of the series the, the Ben Shapiro series um, uh, Sunday special where, uh, you know, there have been a lot of his viewers are evangelical Christians. And he's, he's had John MacArthur on there. He's had William Lane Craig on there. Uh, he's interviewed. And those guys have tried to minister, even in the interview, tried to witness them, and he's tried to move them a little bit. But uh, any, other, any others that you think would be a good convert? Anybody else? Yeah, go ahead, Bill. 
Bill Maher, yes, yes, he's been very disaffected by his own tribe of late. Yeah, he's been, been very, oh, extremely. Uh, the uh, the guy who got funding for Religulous, a combination of Ridiculous and Religion, um, where he went on and just you know did all these uh, you know extremely tendentious and uh, not very not very strong arguments, but they were entertaining. You know, he's a comedian, stand-up comic, a failed one, as a matter of fact. So, um, uh, pretty pretty interesting, right, Wave? So. I wanted to start here with the first reason why, I mean, again, why don't more bright people believe in Christianity if it is indeed true? Um, what, what's, what's the issue? And it's actually, there's actually multiple reasons. But one of the things I wanted to talk about today is what are called paradigms or worldviews. This is probably one of the most read books over the last 50 years. The guy's name was Thomas Kuhn, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. You don't have to know about this, but I wanted to let you know, one of the things he said in this book is, People get situated with a certain grid early on, especially scientists who are supposed to be known for being dispassionately about assessing evidence. Exactly. Objective. You know, they got the white lab coat on. They must be. Um, and he said, no, it takes an overwhelming amount of counter data before they'll even start to change. So believe it or not, you know, Christians and religious people get framed with being obstinate and, and, and stubbornly connected to their worldview. But a worldview is a series of ideas that are interconnected that that help you shape and understand data that comes to you. That's the idea. Uh, Kuhn calls these paradigms, paradigms. <laughs> there you go, paradigms. Uh, but but the first thing to start out with is this: there are, we live in a culture now that the 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 large scale paradigm is materialism. That's fair, or it's some sort of a loose relativism that you make up, uh, you know, truth and value as you go individually. Uh, nobody lives that way, but we profess that. So, for example, when you see a movie, you see some hero risk his life. There's never any discussion about what ultimate reason he did that. It just seems like the right thing to do. Um, you don't, and, and so the idea is the materialist paradigm dominates everything. So one of the th reasons why there's disbelief, widespread. One, I don't think it's as widespread as our culture says it is. But two is because people get stuck with, in a worldview. Worldviews um, actually tell you, they try to answer four questions. And a worldview can call, be called a world philosophy. It can be called you know, a global philosophy, a, a philosophy of uh, um, uh, just, how, again, how you see the world and how you interpret it. Uh, again, Wave, if you have any comments on this, you can go ahead and jump in. But the main four questions a worldview or a life philosophy attempts to answer, or a paradigm, is where do we come from? What do we do while we're here? How do we do what we do while we're here? And where are we going? Origin, meaning, morality, destiny. Origin, meaning, morality, destiny. So um, one of the reasons why there's widespread disbelief is people get stuck in what's called a paradigm or a worldview, and it makes it very difficult for them to assess evidence. Is that fair? Yeah, you know, we teach, a, we have a class at Evangel University for freshmen. Everybody has to go through it. And uh, a lot of it has to do with uh, developing worldview. What's interesting is that all of the textbooks that we use and a lot of what we say in class is that our worldview is developing from the time that we're able to process incorporate information as, as really small kids through our entire life cycle. Um, the problem though is where we get caught, we get trapped uh, I, I, our, we get arrested development mm -hmm. worldview wise yes, and that happens on both the Christian side and the non-Christian side absolutely, great point everybody's got a worldview even people say they don't have one, that's one, <laughs> that, where they try to deny it, that sort of thing so it's really important to remember everybody's got that everybody's attempting to answer where do we come from, origin what do we do while we're here, meaning morality, how do we do what we do while we're here and then destiny, where are we going it's not just the Christian Right? Even people that say no to those things, those are, are supposed to be. And it's important that they not only give answers to those four things, but they all cohere or hang together. They don't contradict one another. So, uh, so worldviews are really, really important. You know, I, I, one of my discussions with Pastor Betzer when, we used to, when I used to do my mentoring sessions with him is he, he, when he used the word worldview, he meant you need to have a view of the world that takes the world into consideration. Missions, right? Don't forget there's a bigger world out there than just here in Fort Myers or here in your, you know, your, your tribe. So really, really important to remember that. But this is, a, this is a way of defining worldview that's more like a paradigm or like a world philosophy. Okay, that you, you, you've got these ideas that form a network that help you interpret things that you see. It helps you shape evidence. Um, some of the things a worldview attempts to answer is uh, origin of the world, the meaning of life, uh, how we know right from wrong. These are, the, these are you know, more 
questions that fall out of that category. What happens when we die? The problem is a materialist, that means no supernatural, no God, a only what you can pick up with your five senses paradigm or worldview doesn't answer these questions. It doesn't even get at these questions. Uh, so people want answers to these questions in direction, and they don't tend to get it. I wanted to bring you uh, an example of this out of, I'm a huge Lewis fan, C.S. Lewis fan. Uh, and his, in his book, The Magician's Nephew, there's a guy named Uncle Andrew. And everybody's enjoying, because they believe in Aslan and believe in Narnia, they're enjoying the animals singing when they get into this part of the book. And Uncle Andrew, it sounds like noise to him. He can't, he just can't hear it. He doesn't believe in this, but he's found himself in this world. And this is, you know, you get this in Romans 1 and in and, and Psalm 19, this idea that, you know, you're, there's music God's singing to people all the time. It comes from the natural world. We're going to talk about this, general revelation and common grace. Um, but Uncle Andrew denies it. And then when Aslan sings, who's the Jesus figure, he can hear something that sounds like a melody, but he tells himself, there's no way this is singing. Lions don't sing, and this place doesn't exist while he's hearing it. So you get this kind of stubborn, he has a worldview he's stuck with, and he will even convince himself against the data uh, that this is indeed the case. So I wanted to first bring you worldview as an explanation as to why some people get stuck in something. I, I'm telling you, the way I look at it, because I've, Wave and I do a lot of work with skeptics or kids that are skeptical, and now the Internet's tunneled into our homes, so we don't even have those places as a safe space to teach kids and develop them. I see what Russ does, what Wave does as fighting a this kind of this this it's almost in the air we breathe right it's it's this idea that there is no supernatural there is no god we're all out here on our own you just got to make it happen uh, and so i see any sermon any teaching anything like this as a pushback a strong pushback that used to not be so difficult there used to be a, a background like an operating system like a microsoft operating system in the background of our culture that said well yeah we know there's a god and jesus was awesome and you know there's a supernatural there's something after you die those seem to be at least denied or not assumed anymore. What do you think, Wade? Yeah, and in my lifetime, it's it's degraded absolutely, uh, significantly, mm -hmm. significantly. So in this course that we teach, one of the components is uh, you deal with the positive aspects of certain worldviews, yes. like this materialism, or yes. we call it scientific naturalism. Yes. Uh, and then you look at the negatives. Yes. And for us, it's I think as Christians, it's important for us to remember, like you said, that this particular worldview mm -hmm. raises more questions than it answers. Absolutely. So they, um, <laughs> scientific naturalists, have have no explanation for the logic mm -hmm. of something coming from nothing. Right. There's nothing in their paradigm. <laughs> yeah. I was listening. I love it. There's there's nothing in their paradigm that uh, that even moves in the direction of an answer for that. And right. an another it really such a basic question is how does order yes. come from chaos? Yes. Yes. Uh, absolutely yes. unable yes. to answer these and yes. so what they do is they punt yes on yes. almost every occasion Good you can listen point. to richard Good dawkins point. or stephen hawkins yes yes he was with us yes and uh you get to those to those sticking points they have to change the discussion yes they, they got to go in another uh direction because within that worldview there's not even the beginning of an answer for That's either right. of those like super super basic questions yes and and that's what, and that when when our reality sings to them, they just have to go. Well, I'm gonna no, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna tune it out. Uh, my my grid's not gonna allow it through. That's why sometimes if you said, well, God, we got all this great evidence for the resurrection, you know, there's some people just there's, miracles don't happen. They just don't have. There's no supernatural. Are you kidding me? This is this is make believe. So sometimes the grid filters out the thing you're needing. Even when, you, in other words, it it's not just it helps them shape or even allow in evidence. What kind of evidence are going to allow in? Yeah. So the deal on, on the anti-supernaturalism is it is a presupposition. Yes. It's not something that is approvable. Yes. So for scientific naturalists or materialists, those that start with the premise there is no supernatural have no proof for that, and it's, a pr it's an un it's an unproven presupposition. Absolutely. What happens downstream from that is once you go down, go down the road 
of being an anti-supernaturalist, then you, your worldview really has to kick in overdrive. Yes. Because there's so much stuff yes. here yes. Uh, that, um, that you have to account for right. that can't be accounted for Beautiful. by a non-supernatural right. existence. Perfect. Yes. Yeah, you have to really do some real creative gymnastics to say things like, we see, in other words, we see order and information everywhere. Now, here's the problem. Every time we see information, like on the page in front of you, there's an informer. Every time where there's, well, what do you mean by information? It's a, it's a repeating message that's not repeating enough to send something greater than the message. It sends something greater than the medium, something greater than ink and paper. There's meaning that comes through in the arrangement of it. Well, we see that everywhere. Whenever there's information or a code, there's a coder. Where there's information, there's an informer. They have to deny that and say, well, in this in all these instances, it just happened. <laughs> you know, so it's one of those things where you're going, okay, all right, well, what, what are you having to do? And it gets increasingly more ridiculous. Um, and what's really hard for me is, and this is the next point here, the giant ubiquitous lie. Ubiquitous means everywhere present. What's really hard for me is to act like they actually reverse it on us, that we get more and more increasingly ridiculous, when in fact, the presuppositions that come with a biblical worldview or a Bible philosophy or a Christ-centered philosophy of life, how life goes, actually makes more sense to the data than the opposite position. But they've won the culture in the sense that they've, they've got this idea out there. This is one of them. Um, we went over last time propaganda that's, in, in, that's from the top down given. We, we were talking about human sexuality in the Bible. And we talked about this uh, the Kirk and Madsen in their book, After the Ball, and about how they say, look, at this point, it's such a strong view that this is the way human sexuality should go. We just have to lie to people. Um, and that's the hard part. One of the big lies in our culture is that, first, science is opposed to everything religious, especially Christianity. It is, it's one of the most easily provable lies out there, but people believe it. You've heard it this way. It, it, it comes through in little comments like, you've got faith, we've got facts. You've got religion, we've got science. It's just not the case at all. There have been Ivy League non-believers who are as objective as they're trying to be, are trying to be objective at, at that level. Scholars that have said, this is garbage. This is a garbage belief. But it is common everywhere. You, you hear it a little bit through movies, through music, this sort of thing. Uh, the idea that there's just so many smart people, so many smart people that don't believe, it's just not true. I would even say even today, there are a ton of bright people that believe in Christianity. All the way, not just believe in a higher power and supernatural, they believe in Christianity. I'll give you examples of this in a second, but I wanted to read to you a couple of uh, quotes from a guy who did really, really well in the secular realm. He's gone. He uh, got cancer and uh, died. His name's Dallas Willard. It's, you hardly ever pick up a bad Dallas Willard book. He's an incredible. He was a professor of philosophy at the University of Southern California. Uh, he trained philosophy professors to go out and be a part of university settings and be a light, you know, to use general revelation and common grace and tell people this this extols the glories of God. So he trained a lot of really, really bright people to go out and be lights in this really difficult skeptical environment like, like Wave, uh, Wave's been in. So, and you can imagine, he goes to the Holy Land, so he has knowledgeable, bright people that may believe in a higher power, maybe, or maybe don't, and have got a lot of a lot of credibility, but also don't believe that Yeshua was was Messiah. So listen to uh, Willer here. We live in a culture that has, for centuries now, cultivated the idea that the skeptical person is always the smarter one than the one who believes. You can almost be as stupid as a cabbage as long as you doubt. The fashion of the age has identified mental sharpness with poise, not genuine intellectual method, curiosity, or character. Only a very hardy individualist or a social rebel or one desperate for another life therefore stands any chance of discovering the substantiality of the spiritual life today. Today it is the skeptics who are the social conformist. Though because of powerful intellectual propaganda, they continue to enjoy thinking of themselves as wildly individualistic and unbearably bright. So you can see Willard here saying, skepticism's in the driver's seat now. It, you are, this is why some churches, progressive churches, platform doubters. Right. Uh, so this is kind of the thing. And I also wanted you to hear this one quote, too, because this is really interesting as well. Also from uh, from Dallas Willard. Listen, the crushing weight for most people in our world, especially first world cultures, the crushing weight of the secular outlook permeates and pressures every thought we have today. Sometimes it even forces those who self-identify as Christian teachers to set aside Jesus' plain statements about the reality and total relevance of the kingdom of God and replace them with philosophical speculations whose only recommendation is their consistency with a modern, contemporary, materialist, atheist mindset. The powerful, listen, the powerful though vague and unsubstantiated presumption is that something has been found out that renders spiritual understanding of reality in the matter of Jesus simply foolish. 
and those that are in the know know this. Any comment on this, that the real smart people have found something out that you don't know, and if you just find out, that's why they're not believers. It's just not true. Not only are there extraordinarily bright believers in the past and in the present today that believe in Jesus and believe that the Bible is an authentic, divine-inspired book from God, it's just not true. But notice what's the operating system. The presumption is, okay, if you're a believer, you're gullible and stupid. If you're a non-believer and a skeptic, you're really, really bright. Uh, and there's something they found out that you don't know about that renders this whole thing a house of cards. Any comment? And so what they found out about, they become very evangelical yes. in promoting. Yes. Uh, this is not one of those, if you are sick, you just come to me and I'm your doctor. Yes. And I will test and I will figure it out there and then go. we will treat. And it's all very above board. It's all very objective. But the reality of this evangelical unbelievism is that they feel... They feel like they've got to go on the offensive. Yeah. They've got to promote what they yes. uh, what they believe, and yes. so they come up with these, in a sense, sort of like straw men. Yes. Like, you know, for people who are folks of people of faith, you're just using your religion as a crutch. Yes. M my comment has been in the past to that, boy, it's a really prickly crutch. <laughs> Isn't you know, it? Grateful. If, if, if people had come up with this, we'd have really lowered the bar where everybody could crawl over it. Yes. But this crutch that I walk on has these eight penny nails stuck through it backward. Yes. Where every time that I lean on it, it says... Uh, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to deny yourself Come on. and take up your cross daily Absolutely. and follow me. Come on. You have to love people who are different than you. That's right. You've got to care for and pray for people who... Uh, uh, who curse you or despitefully use you and that Amen. sort of thing. Amen. And I'm going, boy, I would love to get rid of this crutch. It would be so much easier, <laughs> uh, th this life of, um, and that for me, uh, and, and this is kind of the way that I've made my way to Christianity was through the, the, the doubt and the research yes. and the attempt to be objective and that sort of thing. But for me, one of the things, one of the really appealing things was the closer I got to Jesus, the harder life got. Right, right. Just this, this whole idea that we, yes. on our end, yes. have promoted. Look, just come down, uh, answer the, the altar call, raise your hand, repeat this prayer with me, and Jesus is going to make your life better. He's going to fix your life. He's going to get your bills paid and your marriage fixed and all of this stuff. And, you know, it, it ends up that after the prayer... And the next day, you, it turns out that, you know, people are looking you like you're a, at you like you're a weirdo. Mm -hmm. And you have all these really high-level Sermon on the Mount sort of expectations. Mm -hmm. and, um, you, and because you were sold the bill of goods at the altar, you know, this is going to fix all of the problem, problems in your life. You end up with not just those that are still there that Jesus wants to walk with you through, right. but you end up with a whole other set of expectations and responsibilities. And you go, my goodness, what did I sign on for? Absolutely. So yes. I, I think I read in some of your material mm -hmm. uh, the question of, boy, if if this is a man-made thing, yes. we sure got the, you know, the, the, the cart in front of the horse because we, you know, we end up creating a system where we have a whole lot of guilt. And we have impossible expectations. Right. Right. Uh, in other words, Christianity is not a very good crutch. I guess that's the takeaway. Great, great point. Yeah, I've asked students in the past, how do you know you're not worshiping an imaginary God? One way you know that is if you if it, that God continues to mess up your intellectual life, in, in other words, brings you to greater and greater vistas through suffering and through hardship, God loves those he disciplines, right? So one of the ways you know you're not worshiping, if you're worshiping an imaginary God, this God, this is the people that say, I'm spiritual, not religious. That means they'll never have any conviction or repentance, ever. And they won't grow either, because that, that God is made up and says, you know, you're great all the time. You don't ever have to do anything. You know what? You're doing great all the time. Everything's wonderful. And then when your life isn't wonderful, you have to either go into denial and look like a weirdo, or or you say, well, I, you know, I'm I'm just going to double and triple down and say this, whoever, the, whatever the spirit being is, he's there for you know. So God is for you, but He loves those He disciplines. You know, this is one of the reasons sometimes Christians start off with a lot of zeal and they don't get God can't leave you there where you start to think. Well, it's my, I'm going to do the same thing I did right at the beginning of my, my faith journey to get that God feeling. If he's going to develop you, he's going to have to at least at some point pull away a bit. I have to do it with my kids. I can't hover over and make all their decisions all the time. They have to develop some way of coming. And, and, and so God does pull away in some way 
just to help us grow, right? So we move on. So, so it, it, anyway, it drives us to dependence on him, and it's a one way you know you don't have an imaginary faith if it challenges you. That's the problem with just one side of preaching, not preaching the whole counsel of Scripture. If it's always health, wealth, happiness, prosperity, all the time, you're going to have a false expectation. Every single, almost every single biblical character suffered, had risk or hardship in their life. Am I right? Yeah, and then when it happens, you have no pa- paradigm. Right? <laughs> You're loving it. To make any sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you end up with this crazy cognitive dissonance. Of, yes. These are the guarantees, the promises, but this is real life over here, and they don't connect. Yes. So then you spend a lot of your time yes. either trying to deny one side in the favor of the other. Right. Or you keep changing the subject. That's it. That's it. I can remember I had a guy that'll remain obviously unnamed that came to the altar a couple of years ago. And he said, you know, we're having some trouble with bills. And I prayed with him and I said, Lord, I don't know why I felt led to just kind of say, hey, uh, he's having some bill trouble. And I said, Lord, if you bring him a new job or opportunity, he's like, pulled away from me. What are you doing? Like right at the altar. What are you doing? I went, I, I'm praying for God to bring resources. And I said, do you just want me to pray that he'd drop a bag of money on your? I, that's great. And we can do that. But I mean, he's like, yeah, I'd like the bag of money one. I went, okay, well, it's, uh, there, <laughs> there's a, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> job bag, job bag. Yeah. So uh, let me read you just to, so you have it. You'll have this on on audio. Just a couple examples of modern. Listen, modern. The part of this lie that that only stupid, gullible people believe this. It drives. You can tell it drives me crazy. I have to constantly break this lie all the time over people. Uh, there are some bright people that don't believe, and there's some extremely bright people that do believe today. Let me give you a couple of examples of world-renowned thinkers that love Jesus. Right, uh, physicist Dr. William Phipps, Nobel Prize winner, MIT background. Physicist Dr. Don Page, Cambridge background. Particle physicist Dr. Peter Busey, his book, uh, The Signpost of God is Outstanding. Dr. Robert P. George of uh, uh, Oxford, Harvard, and Princeton, right? Physicist Dr. Christopher Isham, Imperial College London, a Dirac medal winner, which is like the science, the physicist Nobel Prize. Uh, Quantum physicist Dr. John Polkinghorne out of Cambridge. Uh, cosmologist, Cosmologist Dr. George Ellis out of Cambridge. Listen, his colleagues say he knows more about cosmology than any living person today. These are all believers, uh, not just believers in higher power and the supernatural, uh, Christian believers, right? Arguably the best of the 20th century, Dr. George Ellis. And again, Dr. Alan Sandage, uh, Caltech, uh, arguably the greatest astrophysicist who, je- who was a latecomer to Christ. Um, so I, like I said, uh, I, I've, got, <laughs> I've got conversion, about 130 conversion stories of people that came late in life due to evidence because they now love Jesus um, out of a skeptical background. So the idea that only young, gullible children believe this and carry it into their adulthood is just just not true. Go ahead, Jude. Mm-hmm. Yes, they have a worldview. They have a paradigm. Yes. Yes. Agreed. Yes. Right. I think in how you do it, as long as it's not caustic, like I've, I've suggested the questioning manner, that's how Jesus did it as a good rabbi. Uh, it's, it's important. But, yeah, you need to let – that's part of the thing I do when I'm doing the long-term, like the long-term trying to crack a hard-case skeptic is to say, okay, let's start with the idea that you've got a paradigm. You've got a paradigm. You've got a worldview. It's attempting to answer those four questions as well. How do you think it's doing? In other words, I'm trying to get them to doubt their doubt. Like, uh, you know, use that same skeptical lens on your own views right here and just and let's, let's look at it and think about it. you have any comment on that one uh, at all as far as is it, what, what about the procedure of letting a skeptic know? that? Yeah, I think that it's great to, to point out that for people who are these scientific naturalists or materialists, yes. um, you, you believe in the existence of beauty, mm. right? Yes. Well, of course I do. Art, yes. there's music, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, no, but how do you measure beauty? Mm. How do you quantify what is really good or what is not? It often ends up being um, something that, but, but it exists. Absolutely. So the answer to that is not in their paradigm. Yes. Um, similarly, uh, for, how, do you, how do you quantify joy? Right, a Fulfillment, right. satisfaction. Yes, yes. the and thing all, we all want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We know that these exist. We right. know that they're realities, and yet um, we are incapable, really, right. of of a f- complete definition because everybody's going to do it differently. That's right. And different people are going to like, be attracted to different things at, right. at, to different levels. Yes. Even things like that we experience like pain. 
consciousness. I find this yeah. amazing. You, today, they have a different way, a different paradigm of mm. approaching you in uh, the doctor's office. And one of the questions that a doctor is going to ask you is, oh, could you rank or rate your level of pain somewhere between 1 and 10? Well, one person is going to be very pain tolerant. The other pe person is going to be very pain sensitive. So what's a 4 for one person? Same amount of pain is going to be an 8 or a 9 for the next person. Absolutely. These are things that we have in our world that we know exists. We, we know exists, but they, uh, they, they can't be quantified. Right. Not, in, not in the means or the, the means of measurement that have been established as standards by scientific naturalists. So the problem then, if there are so many things in our world like, like joy and, and pain and, and, and beauty, self-sacrifice and those kinds of things that you can't get a you can't seem to get all get it all in the corral then there have to there has to be at the same level of faith the yes same kind sure of, um, unmeasurable un unquantifiable um, often unseeable uh, realities that are universally accepted as real yes and and real quick I think the whole idea of starting off with questions You'll get to something, but I think we rush right into it. We let the skeptic put their feet up, cross them, and throw darts at our answers. No, you say, all right, we'll get to we'll get to how I would address this. Like, what? How, how do you know? You know, what what confidence do you have? There's a heaven and a hell, right? Well, before I do that, let me ask some questions about what you're doing, what you're thinking. Uh, how how do you proceed on in this life? Do you ignore the fact if there isn't a supernatural, if there's no place, there's no destiny after you die? How do you, how do you proceed? Doesn't that bring meaninglessness into your life like it's just Sisyphus rolling the rock up and down the hill and it's just all meaningless. So I do I do think it's okay to put that on the front end before you start peppering them with questions that they're going to have a hard time getting through their paradigm grid. So you make them step out and question their, their grid or their, or their worldview. Um, before, I know it's already 10.02, but I want to get this on the table because this is, I know, I know, you got to go. First uh, 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 Corinthians it, it, it's 1 and 2. A lot of Christians use 1 Corinthians 1 as a, as a, as a <laughs> to bolster ignorance, uh, as a, a fight against using the life of the mind, right? That Paul says it's foolishness, right? This is foolishness. Let me read you the passage, but there's, some, there's a truth in there we're going to get at today. Uh, uh, so I'll start with 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them, male or female, right? That's man in the generic. 1 Corinthians 1.18. Listen, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Where's the one who's wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of the age? So question or comment about basically we, there's a default of rebellion, of pride. We are situated against the Lord. So that's the, and I'll, you'll see in the passage too here in a second why God did it this way. But you're also dealing with a sin nature, a fallen nature. Amen? Uh, the problem is people take Paul here, who was a brilliant equivalent of two Gamaliel PhDs, as saying, don't ever think about your faith. Don't ever assess evidence. Don't ever, uh, you know, uh, when, Acts 17, when he goes to the Areopagus, he goes, ah, don't, don't, don't do the, what he did there. Um, the idea that you should disdain any life of the mind is how 1 Corinthians 1 is sometimes interpreted, especially in Pentecostal and Charismatic circles. Not the case. He just wants us to realize that we're dealing with spiritual issues here, too, with life of the mind as well. Comment? I would argue that if, uh, when you are ha in discussion with someone who is a uh, scientific materialist or someone yes. who is uh, into this materialism, scientific method, uh, is ask two or three questions. Yes. Don't assume that you're going to resolve yes. you know, this and you're going to be able to get them on their knees repenting, no, no, no. them on the forehead, everything's <laughs> going to be great for the rest of their lives because <laughs> uh, it's probably not going to happen. It didn't happen with me. It took several years of reading, researching, right. thinking about, and, and finally came to uh, my conclusion was what makes the most sense out of all the data and of the world Amen. we live in yes. is, the, is the Christian way of faith. Yes. They're going to have to come to that conclusion on their own. So come up with two or three really good questions that just give them the opportunity to begin to think and create and critique 
their own position. Absolutely. Then turn them loose to the presence of God, to yes. the Spirit of God. Yes, yes, yes. To apply and to convict and to woo and yes. draw. Yes. And uh, oftentimes, because we have so many people who have come to faith. By the way, did you notice in that uh, list that you read that so many of these people, you, re you read their cred credentials at the end, have to do with, like my pastor, yes. he is an aerospace engineer, PhD, yeah. uh, came to faith in Jesus, uh, is just an amazing uh, uh, pastor, yes. a interpreter of the word, and, yes. and wonderful human being. Um, the, one of the biggest areas of revival yes. that's that is going on is within the aerospace yes within the the, the, the astronomer yes. uh, world yes. because they're seeing things they're yes. discovering things the further out that they look the more order that's they right. see yep. uh, the more continuity consistency yes. that they're saying gravity is everywhere yes. that, for example and yes. uh, everything is rotating around everything and that one of the biggest uh, uh, areas where God is invading science yes. because he's the author of yes. it. He's the creator. He's the one. Yes. His yes. order is what makes science work. That's right. These the, uh, uh, astronomers are, are coming to this realization that there's something out there bigger than me and, and moving in the direction of. So no surprise. No surprise. These guys that you, the, this that's laundry list of people. Yes. So it, it, that's, these are exciting times. The they more are. we learn about our world, the more we're seeing that there is what the, um, uh, what the deist used to refer to as the clockmaker. That's right. There's got to be right. somebody that made the clock and that wound it up. Right, uh, right. Creates the energy by which it, yes. Um, yes. Uh, it functions. Absolutely. Anyway. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Can we say thanks to it? Yeah, he's got to run to Bruce's, so. God bless you Thank you, thank you, thank you. So cool. Thank you, brother. Yeah, very, very cool. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'll just move over here. Yeah, so uh, very, very important to, to realize that. it's Yeah, I've, I've actually been able to verify this. There are far more believers in the hard sciences, the chemists. Uh, in fact, we have we had more engineers, retired engineers in this class than, than anyone. But people have to, at any level, put things together, create order out of chaos. They tend to like classes like this. Um, it's the soft sciences, no offense, uh, wherever Lacey, I mean, she's already gone outside to Lacey, who's in the soft sciences. My wife's got a degree in psychology. No offense, but they're the ones who actually are the more skeptical bent. But the ones that are in, the physicists, the chemists, uh, the engineers, and the astrophysicists, those sort of, those are where you're seeing a revolution and in the philosophy departments uh, across the country. So interestingly enough, you guys realize another way to describe fallen nature to somebody who doesn't believe that there's some sort of a, a spiritual a barrier to belief is saying we are, and this is easy to verify, we are pathologically self-centered. We are pathologically self-centered. Um, even non-believers can see this. I, I've got dozens and dozens of non-believers that say, yeah, there's something wrong with the world. Nobody has a, yeah, there's something wrong with human beings. They all also have this intuition that things used to be better. <laughs> Not just used to be better in the last 10 years, but used to be better 1,000 millennia ago. Um, as far as uh, at some point, there was some primordial past where things were a lot better for, for human beings, uh, an Edenic-type state. Um, again, if humans were to create a religion, it wouldn't look like Christianity. Again, this is a great question to ask. How do I know I'm not following an invented make-believe God? You know, that, that Freudian and Feuerbach uh, uh, issue. But I also wanted to say, and this is what makes this second point really, really complex. We are also hardwired to believe in higher power. Um, this is maybe one of the more surprising discoveries in the, in the early 21st century. Uh, probably the guy who's done the most work on it, had the most research money, was an agnostic who's now a believer named Justin Barrett at Oxford University. He's got a book called Born Believers. Um, this has been extremely, again, in my circle, has been something that the atheist has been very upset about. Because for years, what have they said? Kids are born naturalists, atheists, and then their parents give them the Santa Claus idea, and then they grow up and they don't want to get out of it because that's the set paradigm in their minds. So they grow out of the Santa Claus belief, but they keep the God belief till they're dead. Well, not only does that not match the data, now we know this, <laughs> that children, small children, when their minds are functioning normally, are convinced automatically there's a higher power. They see order and go, there's an orderer, and they see order and go, orderer. The starry host above, 
the, 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 the trees and the waves and the water within, they come to a natural belief in a higher power, a naturally functioning brain of a young person. In fact, I can read reading the pop science journal, uh, either the New Scientist or Scientific American, that said stop using the argument that children are convinced and fooled by their parents into believing in God. That's just not the case. We now have about 10 years and millions of dollars of research data that says the exact opposite, that kids naturally come to believe in a higher power. Now, it, that's not all the way to the cross. That's just a belief that there's a supernatural and a, and a supernatural being of some sort that operates in our world. They have to be convinced out of that. So you can't so they say, don't keep, quit using the you're gullible because you taught your kids thing. That's just not true. Atheist kids raised in, in atheist households, turns out they have to be convinced by their parents over and over again. No, there's not a God. No, no. No, no, not a designer, not a designer, not a designer. So we're also, not only, so not only are we hardwired to believe in a higher power, God hasn't left us without a witness. This, again, interfaces fine with Romans 1 that says you have this God knowledge that comes through nature. Uh, Psalm 19, God knowledge that comes through nature. And that'll get us to our next point. Um, another thing to remember about 1 Corinthians as well is, look, let's read it. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. This is Paul saying, a lot of y'all were pretty dumb, Corinth. Uh, this is where some high-end philosophers were, some smart people. Um, not many of you are powerful. Not many of you are of noble birth. You're not aristocrats. You don't have, wield a lot of social or physical power, and you're pretty dumb. Uh, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even, though things, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. It's to give him glory. No human being needs to boast. Paul goes over and over this sort of thing. The grace you've encountered and the grace you have is, the, is truly grace. Whether it came in a long process like Wave talked about, because you don't want an immediate transformation of someone's life. That's usually a quick transformation. is usually a false one. But these things all come together. You know, the Bible says there's somebody that, you know, for the analogy that plows the ground, there's somebody that drops a seed in, somebody waters a seed, somebody brings a plant to fruition. They use this as an analogy for coming to belief in God, belief in faith through Jesus. Paul says God doesn't want you to boast. In fact, God loves underdogs. I right, even take the people, the, the, the Jewish people. We shouldn't have even heard of this group. They should have been either annihilated or assimilated out of existence. But God uses the lowly things of the world, what? To show that he cares for everyone and that no person can boast and brag. You know what that means? You can't say, well, God specially chose me because I'm really, really awesome and that's why I'm saved. Right? It, it's a real, it's a real uh, way to humble yourself. And Paul was, a, again, a guy doing incredible things for the kingdom, but, but humble as well. And, and, and he needed that coming out of his arrogant background. Um, another thing to say as we get here to a conclusion is God's common grace or general revelation is also important for you to understand. Um, there are two types of revelation that theologians talk about. Without your eyes glazing over, it's this. Special revelation, God revealing something to you, comes in the way of the Bible. The history of God acting amongst his people, speaking through prophets, and speaking through, right, the God on earth, God among us, culminating in the central figure of Jesus in the Bible. Common grace, or, or general revelation, not special, general revelation, is grace given to people that reject God. Okay? This is important to understand that even rejectors of God can, can sometimes get truth right, can sometimes develop certain things. We've all enjoyed music by people that rejected God. That was, that's excellent music. Why is this important? Because it means that for a variety of good reasons, God doesn't just limit his gifts just to believers. Okay? He doesn't. We know this is the case. And by the way, this is what the Bible says as well. In James, it says what? Every good gift comes from the Father of lights above, right? Every good gift. We see the Bible extolling the wisdom of other cultures that rejected God, that were polytheistic. So we see that God has lavished grace out through general revelation and common grace. Go ahead, Jude. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, exactly. That makes sense of even your feeling right now. Very, very good. So yeah, it's, remember, it's grace because it's unmerited favor. But it's spread out to everybody. And by the way, this has a lot of practical benefit for a living, living a mature Christian life. You know, when you look over at somebody who looks like they reject God and they're having more life success milestones than you, the Bible says you could expect that. How about when you see somebody that's living more virtuously than you are as a Christian? God, that's, in other words, he doesn't just give it to the believers, okay? That's something that's supposed to woo them and bring them closer. It happens, right? So common grace, general revelation is another reason why sometimes people that use their mind well 
don't necessarily come to faith immediately. Um, now, there are a ton of people that have, but the point is here, if we believe the Bible's right about common grace or general revelation, it's certainly going to have an effect on, on us. Uh, you know, sometimes we read in the Bible and we get really confused when it says Jesus is sovereign now over creation. You're like, there's a lot of bad things happening. What do you mean having power over creation now? Well, there's two ways you can think of that he's exercising that. One is this. He's still giving grace even to people that reject him. Still giving mercy, still sending messages through the trees, the stars, through beautiful music, through Christians that help them, through, by all means, right? Sometimes their paradigm or their worldview or their life philosophy prevents that grid from coming through. Remember Magician's Nephew, Narnia, Uncle Andrew? I can't hear the, I won't hear the music. But he also is doing this. I think he's restraining things from being as bad as they could be. The Bible's, again, there's some, there's some scattered passage about God restraining things from getting as bad as they could be. So there's still a power exerted in sovereignty, even with free will uh, in our world. So, I, I, so another way of saying this, if you're talking to somebody like mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, why are there so many? I'm, I mean, imagine if you're at university, right? You got two roommates that seem to be, you know, older than you and better grades, better GPA than you. They don't believe in God. You have professors that have letters behind their name that they don't believe in God and they're pretty bright. Uh, then you have the internet coming in where the, the only voices they hear are people either leaving the faith or people that are really bright that don't believe. A compromised media environment. Propaganda. It's difficult, you guys. It's really, really difficult, especially if you don't understand things like this. Well, one reason why uh, that God just doesn't give all the grace, all, there's no con- that he gives all of it through special revelation and through people specially coming to him is so that we won't boast. It's also because he still loves skeptics. And the idea comes through as well because there's sometimes there's a, it's an interesting, you have a grid that prevents you from seeing things sometimes, and it takes a lot, a lot of data before it breaks through that sort of thing. And there's a spiritual realm as well where you have this resistance, but God hasn't left you without a witness. You're still hardwired to believe in God. It's a natural thing for children to believe in God. Um, you're still, even though you've got this grid that's self-centered and pathologically self-centered, you have this sort of thing going on. Um, so again, general revelation, this also glorifies God. There are, th- th- this includes anybody. Somebody has excellence in finances. Somebody has excellence in tech development. Somebody has excellence in music. Even if they reject God, that's still a glory to God. You're like, they're not giving credit to him. But again, the Bible extols wisdom of other cultures. It says you can learn something from an ant. You can learn something from the Phoenicians, the Egyptians. In other words, he says it's not just going to be just for the Christians. This is also why he doesn't immediately fix, your, fix everything in your life as soon as you become saved. Can you imagine how many people would be false converts for that? Right? Um, how do I say it? Imagine if you're Bill Gates and you're dating. Right? What does that mean? How are you going to know they really love you? Everybody knows you're a billionaire. Everyone. And when I get my hands on some of that right? So God doesn't just zap you as soon as you say, as soon as you say yes, not only because he loves others there, but it also brings about what false, a false, a false motivation to convert. You don't love him for him. You love him for what he can give you or what he's going to give you. So, um, so, so if you don't understand the, the amazing situation that God's in to get redemption and to get us to have a true love relationship with him. You haven't really thought this thing through um, very deeply. So, yeah, one of the most difficult things is witnessing to people that have too much general revelation, okay? They have too much good thinking, good effects, good money, right? They get too much of it, and it's hard. That makes it hard to get through. They have too much general revelation and too much grace, so they think, I'm doing fine, right? Right? So this, this, can be, this can be really, really difficult as well as getting through this sort of thing because God lavishes to his glory grace on everybody. Uh, does this mean Christianity is actually foolish? No, it just appears foolish uh, in the eyes of the world. Um, uh, it, it is one of those things that uh, uh, is going to appear foolish to someone who has a, a spiritual and even a, a history where you've put ideas in the way of this sort of thing. The Holy Spirit can certainly uh, get through that sort of thing, but usually it comes through a slow process uh, for people. It's not normally a quick thing. I have to be reminded all the time, when, and when Chris and I were teaching at the Florida school, um, all the time I had to be reminded that, look, if a change happens quick, it's probably not authentic. Maybe we've caught them on the back end, but if a major change happens quick, that's usually a false one. Usually people have major life change and trajectory change through a slow process, through, usually through quite a bit of pain, so they learn. Um, but, uh, but think about this. Um, it's amazing what people have to believe to not believe in God or not believe in Christianity. Wave mentioned a couple of these. 
you have to somehow believe that order and information came from chaos and non-information. You have to believe that everything that you've ever seen that begins, that had a beginner, the universe also looks like it began, and it doesn't have a beginner. Uh, you have to say that uh, your, your marriage and your love life is actually pointless. It's just chemicals bumping into each other. You have to say any meaning in life or any achievements destined to die in the heat death of the solar system as well as the planet. You, there's so many things you have to trade in order to say, I don't want this God. Um, let me ask you this. Um, if you had, if you wanted to comment on this, what do you think? What sort of, um, what sort of things would we would we if we could adjust the Christian faith to make it more like the world faiths, to make it more appealing? What do you think? What do you think would be adjusted? In other words, I, I'm with Wave Two. That one of the ways I know I'm not worshiping an imaginary God is that He challenges me. <laughs> it's not easy. Um, if I was making the God up, I'd make him up and say, you know what, Joe, you're awesome. You don't have to do anything. Uh, you know, this class secretly is literally the greatest, most important class in the universe. Yeah, God told me that this morning. I, if I was making it up, you see what I'm saying? If I was making it up, that's the way I'd do it. But instead, it's the other way, right? Every step closer, he brings us through something else. And it, and it right, from glory to glory, right? But think of it this way. What do you think would be what would make Christianity more appealing to human beings that are self-centered, if it was a made-up religion. Do you have any ideas? Like, uh, I'll tell you one right now. No more sex, only after marriage, right? I'm telling you, there are more skeptics because they want to do what they want to do sexually than anybody I've ever met now. Again, I've been working with college students. Um, but, uh, but I'm telling you, C.S. Lewis said, he, he used to say the most, the, the biggest detriment to Christian faith is the, the uncompromised commitment to sex after marriage only. And they say, well, no, 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 people don't like the fact that they're fallen either, that they have a pathological self-centeredness and rebellion that's kind of, that's kind of part of the, 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 the whole idea of being a human being is rebelling and doing your own thing. He said, no, still, the, the sex thing's pretty important. Uh, any other ideas that you think would make Christian? Yes, go ahead. Yes. That's it. You're exactly right. So, again, for the audio, uh, one of our class members said that, that it, it's, a, it's, a, it's another feature of our worldview that would be more comfortable if it was just everybody in. This is the way progressive churches go. They just say, yeah, Jesus is going to save everybody. Love wins, this sort of thing. But interestingly enough, this is where Christianity is a lot like other religions in this sense, that all the other religions are actually exclusive at certain points. They have a line in the sand or they draw and they say, if you step over here, you're not in our religion anymore. <laughs> There's even, even, like I've said before, even we're going to talk about this in the future, but even Baha'is who say everybody's in, they, they say the only people that aren't in are people that think there's only one way in. So they even exclude the exclusivists. But great point. We would immediately make that be, yeah, you're in no matter what. No matter what happens. So, again, maybe your life doesn't really matter. But, hey, we're all going to heaven. We'll see you there. Yeah. So that's one way we'd make it more comfortable and appealing to other people. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, and having a negative afterlife destination. That's, it, 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 it does. Too bad it's true. But here's the thing. You guys know, here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. If a physicist says, I don't want reality to be this way, but I want to do this, I, I want to make this discovery or do this research, we don't say, oh, okay, yeah. Reality is the thing you bump into when you don't want it to be that way, right? So a physicist doesn't do that. So, I mean, I, mean, I have it with the Bible, too, with people. Minimally, even if you don't believe it's divinely inspired, but you think it's a really, minimally, it is a piece of literature that's helped billions of people revolutionize their life. That's minimal for the Bible. And people are like, yeah, I don't like that part. I like this part. I don't like that part. That's the way you go. That's not the way you go with reality. One of the ways you know, again, that you are serving the real God is if there's challenge. That's one of the ways because you would, if you were making it up, you wouldn't put the challenge in. <laughs> That's what, again, um, take the Bible. You can even take this and apply it to the Bible. One of the features of it being an honest historical revelation is the fact that warts and all. Warts and all, you get all of it. Women find the tomb. They have to go tell the men are like, what? And they were with Jesus three, right? They were the, the majority with Jesus over three years, and they weren't at the tomb waiting for him to resurrect? That's embarrassing. The fact that embarrassing details are included means it's likely true. If you're making it up, you say, well, we were all at the tomb waiting. Yeah, Jesus came out. You women, yeah, go go back there. We're, yeah, we got it. Absolutely. Here we go. Yeah. You, know, you, you see what I'm saying? No, no, no. No. Hiding, cowering. Peter denies them? Right? So the inclusion of embarrassing details means they were more committed to truth than they were making something up. Right? So another feature of the, 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 our, the 
particulars of our revelation, special revelation, the Bible, that should help you grow in confidence. Old Testament's the same way. You get flaws in all. The patriarchs of the faith, the Hebrews, they see miracle after miracle, and they still like, whatever, God, right? Embarrassing details is usually a strong mark of truthfulness, right? Because if you're making it up, you make it up, make yourself look good, right? So it's amazing what you have to not believe, right? Um, uh, how about this? Jesus saying, you got to be perfect. <laughs> like that one? <laughs> I would have edited that one out, right? That's what, dri- again, it drives me crazy. He's a good moral teacher. He was a terrible teacher. If you think about it in the way we normally say, te- all right, so if my son in his first piano lesson, the guy had sat down and go, here's a Bach uh, piece, play it. You're like, what? I said, get out of here. What am I paying you for? I said, Jesus. Oh, yeah, what are you doing? Yeah, ex- do an exorcism. Yeah, be perfect as I am perfect. I'm like, huh? So unless he's God, that, right? He's, he's, he can't just merely be a good moral teacher. So again, there's things we would edit out that are, unco- sometimes his wisdom is confusing to us. Sometimes hell and judgment and justice, his justice looks harsh to us sometimes. There are confusing parts of the Bible because why? We're limited and finite. And this is a, a, a supernatural revelation across time and history and cultures. So that means there's going to be parts we agree with and parts we either don't agree with or that are going to hit us. And if they don't hit us, I mean, what would we say to a marriage where the spouse could never argue or challenge? We'd call that slavery, right? You would never grow. Never. Right? You're a spouse. You can never say anything. You can never, ever assess my, me as negative. Ever. That's not a real relationship, is it? I know. Some people are going, wait a second. Uh, starting to mess with you. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll end with this question, but I'll, I'll just go and say this. One of the things I'm attempting to break culturally is the idea, and if I, and I, again, I'm, I'm not tech-phobic like Pastor Betzer, but I'm pretty close to being just at least tech-suspicious because I, uh, I see there's far more downside. I actually do see there's far more downside to the Internet and screens than there is upside. I do. So um, that's one of the reasons I'm slow to get online, that sort of thing. There's all sorts of traps I want to avoid. But one way I've tiptoed into the online world to expand, not my voice, but try to expand the voice of Christ and God um, is trying to upend these cultural ideas, the ones that run like a background program. Like I told you, that just people that really think well are prone to non-belief. It's just not true. It's not true in the current age. It isn't true in the past. <laughs> people that hate the life of the mind don't build universities and people them with priests and monks. They don't. So I, it, it's hard when you hear these lies, you know, or they're propagandized to you and things like that by, by way of movies and TV, that sort of thing. Um, but some of the greatest minds in history, both currently and in the past, are believers and higher power in the supernatural and have good reasons to come to those conclusions, really good reasons. One of the projects I'm going to be working on uh, over the next, it's kind of an extra project, but I'm a, is um, I've got 150 conversion stories of people. Now listen, here, here's, the, here's the grid. The grid is converted based on evidence late in life. And there's one, oh, there's one more. Uh, they have to have some sort of award for their ability to assess and evaluate evidence, right? Now, there are billions of Christians that have converted for evidence as well as other reasons, different types of evidence. But why is that? Those are, these are going to be like three to four minute vignettes. So somebody can say, ah, oh, you Christians are gullible. Like, really? Click, 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 click. They're only going to be like three to four minutes long. But the idea is to kind of batter that cultural idea that only rubes believe this. They're either trying to fleece you for money and fool you, or they're really confused and they actually believe this crazy stuff. So one of the ways you get around that is to say, okay, these are people that didn't believe in their childhood, came to belief because of evidence late in life, and had particularly um, a bunch of very specific awards and respect of their peers for their ability to assess and analyze evidence. I'm I'm at 150, and that's just confining myself the last 100 years. I gave you a, a couple of them just in that little list. These, these people have come to believe for, for good reasons. So it's not just that, okay, you're a faith head. You're probably over there doing flags and, and whistling in the spirit. Uh, no, I'm, I'm just saying, we're, we're all charismatics, right? Are y'all snake handling? My Roman Catholic family thinks that. Every, cl- every church service we snake handle. I mean, there's no evidence of that, but it's snake handlers. Um, why? Because we're Pentecostal. So it's just not true. It's not true that science and Christianity have always been at odds with one another. It's absolutely false. Um, the idea that only stupid people believe this or gullible people or people that got it in their childhood, it's not true. It's not true 
at all. So for me, it's it's trying to push back and maybe using an online expression to do that. But that's that's some of the things that are, are going to be important. And I do think it. I do see it as a fight. You're fighting TV. You're fighting internet. You're fighting. I mean, I, I'll give you one. I just finished a book by a PhD holding scholar in Georgia named Stephen Miller called Deathbed Experiences. He studied uh, near-death experiences for the last, gosh, 25 years. Brilliant guy. He's a natural-born skeptic, came to uh, Christianity in his adult, adult life. He's a believer in Christianity. He's planted multiple churches. And he's looking at, he, he found three different scholars that were non-believers that went to Ivy League schools in the early and mid-20th century that because of these visions and their verification before someone died, they say, well, it has to be a supernatural. They converted based on that. They said, I, the verifiable visions they're seeing tell me there's a supernatural realm. Has anybody ever heard of that? Why isn't that front page news? Miller has to bury it in his book on deathbed experiences, right? One is, was, is, is the best known. She, she actually studied these visions with children, dying children, worked with dying children her whole life. She's a head of pediatrics at either Yale or Princeton. Gosh, I would give her a name, but I don't want to, I'm going to put her in my list of converts. But, but, She's like, I can't deny it anymore. I came for my first 10 years with a grid that said these are just hallucinations, or, but I can't anymore. We don't hear that at all. What do we hear? Kevin Max deconstructed. Another Christian celebrity or worship leader said, I can't do this anymore. Christianity doesn't make any sense. What about all the problems? What about this evil in the world? That's what we hear, right? Or we hear people like, again, they platform Neil deGrasse Tyson, right? Um, uh, even my even my director, my doctor father, Jan, Dr. Jan Vanderwatt in the Netherlands, even he used to say, he goes, Joe, you know, I, I've got more advanced degrees at more difficult institutions than most of my colleagues at this. He was working, they do eight-year contracts there. And they still treat me with contempt because I believe in a supernatural realm. And I work harder, dive down deeper, <laughs> and have done more than any three of them put together. But they still treat me with contempt. So it, it is a compromised environment, a very, very compromised environment. So just understand, this is what's coming at them all the time. It's fake. It's fraudulent. Stupid. So that means you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna put up all the worst examples. You know, you got the the people with the bow staffs in church, and they think we're all like that. Um, so I, I just wanted to hit you with this question as we finish here. So why aren't there more evangelical scholars? Do you think in major universities? At this point, there's a lot of them coming up and converting in universities. Like he said, in the hard sciences, the chemist, the astrophysicist, the physicist, um, the engineers, things like that. Um, but why do, you, why do you think there is a, uh, I mean, there's more than there's ever been, I think, in the history of Christianity, more people doing great work. But why do you think we don't have a lot of representation at the university level, especially since Christians built most of the universities? Duke, Columbia. Oh, go ahead, Elizabeth. Yeah. Yeah, I think you may be right. Uh, Elizabeth said she may, she thinks that maybe it's because people don't want to be where they're not liked. Nobody wants to fight upstream culturally, even in a small culture. Um, it's like if you visited a church and they have so many beliefs that you think are central against what you believe. You don't stay long, even if you like some of the people there. Any other thoughts about why there's not as much representation? Go ahead, Melissa. Yes, yes. Um, there is a cost uh, to this sort of thing. Um, that's, that's really, really, yeah, um, th th you're right. If you say this is true, um, there's going to be a significant cost socially and fiscally in your job. Very, very good. That's, that's true. In fact, um, one of the accounts of that was a guy who was one of the, one of the best is in a movie called Expelled with Ben Stein. Uh, there was a guy named Sternberg who was the, one of the bi biology experts on whale evolution, which is one of their biggest, their biggest uh, alleged proofs of evolutionary theory. And Sternberg said he lost his position at the Smithsonian, which is a prestigious position for a researcher, uh, because he said he, he actually published an article by Stephen Meyer that, that questioned evolution, just said that the mechanism of evolution do this sort of thing. He didn't even say he believed the whale wasn't evolved. He just he allowed that to get published under their masthead, and he lost his job. So, yeah, there's that, too, the fiscal incentive. Yes, yes. Yeah. Used to be you had to have these sort of beliefs to even get a job teaching higher because, you know, I mean, this is one of the reasons our founding fathers said things like, well, you got to have a Christian belief as a background because if there's no being outside of the magistrate in your town to which you're submitting, there's no, <laughs> the minute somebody's not looking, we don't have any, any assurances. Uh, any other comments about why there aren't more? Yeah, go ahead, Larry. Yeah. Sure, sure. Um, 
Now, it said some were driven out, right, and then others left on their own. But, you know, you get hints of this even in Jericho. That was a military outpost. Uh, this is a big question. Uh, Larry is asking, well, some people have an issue with, with God's, some of his de- decisions in the Old Testament. Um, but even in that, they said, you remember uh, Rahab said they'd even heard, they've heard of the miracles on the way up here. Like, first, how in the world did you ever get away from the world superpower at the time, the Egyptians? How in the world, oh, wait, their army's gone. Um, so there was an idea that you just, especially in a conquest ethic scenario, that you're moving out of there. Many probably had, it looks like Jericho, based on excavations, was a military garrison. She was, uh, there, was there weren't families there. Um, but you're right. Some people, uh, again, have issue with some of the Old Testament commands. We can talk about that. We've actually talked about Yahweh Wars before in here. We can talk about that as well. Uh, we'll probably talk about something like that in the future. But any other comment before we pray out? Yeah, go ahead, Tom. Yes. Yeah. I, I absolutely agree. So I hope I'm not confusing you, but if somebody asks you, why do so many smart people not believe you? First say, well, there's a lot of smart people that do, <laughs> right? There's bright people on either side. The second way to go is to say, well, you know, God's for the underdog. I don't know if you know that, but God is pleased by using people you would not expect. Third, he wants no one to boast, so he wants you to boast in the grace you've been given. Four, he spreads grace out to everybody. There have been great, there's great art, great thinking, great invention, that happens with not even rejectors of God because he's so gracious. That's part of his sovereignty now over the world before the end of time. And certainly, uh, last but not least, um, there there are quite a few. It, it, it is a battle. We are both hardwired to believe in a higher power, but we're also in a spiritual battle that's constantly, right, that's constantly trying to take us away from submitting to, coming to, sh- sh- expressing our dependence upon God and our gratitude to him and doing it just to ourselves and aggrandizing ourselves. So I just, uh, I wanted to hit this, again, many, many different angles. I know it's a ton of information that's normal in here, but I appreciate you guys' attention. We're a little bit over time. I'm going to pray unless somebody else has something to say because I didn't want this to come off like a lecture. Anybody else have anything to add or say or feel the Holy Spirit's moving you to say something, anything at all? I really appreciate uh, your your time and attention. Remember what the point is of this, right, Uh, is trying to get at some things that are very, very common. Again, amongst believers, this is a pretty common one, amongst believers. Uh, Amongst unbelievers, this is one we're going to do next week, but um, very, very common source of doubt uh, um, amongst Christian believers is why aren't there more that that come to this? And there's a spiritual dimension, there's a cultural dimension, as well as a, uh, 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 you know, just a relational dimension as well. So would you bow with me? Let's pray. Uh, God, we love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. You are great and mighty and worthy of all praise. Um, we say thank you for the great, unbelievable gifts you've established in, in our lives. We are living in the most resource-rich culture in human history. We want to take these resources and find ways to glorify you with them. We truly desire that, God. And we want to pray specifically for family members of everyone in this class, Uh, sons, daughters, uh, mothers, fathers, grandchildren, uh, that Heavenly Father that we're able to come alongside and that you, again, uh, give us the opportunity to come alongside and and bring them into a a new trajectory of life, Lord, to to, uh, work with you and cooperate with your spirit that convicts and woos people, um, that we would be part of that that process. Uh, Lord, we don't want to waste the relational dollars and currency we have with with these members of our family. Would you repair any family breaches, would you bring uh, us to a, a greater knowledge and a closer walk with you, a closer intimacy with you, and help us find ways to take these great blessings and scrub them out and, and spread them out to others like you've lavishly bestowed your grace upon the entire human race. So we thank you for this time and ask you to bless my brothers and sisters. Uh, give them a great week uh, where they can find ways to show your light. In Jesus' name, amen. Hope to see you guys next week. Thank you for your attention.